You're listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 3800 Marlton Pike. For more information, check out circleofhope.net. So I'm going to talk for a little bit, and you'll get a chance to talk back at the end. We need to feel it. I just, I just felt something. When Matt was was shouting that, that we've been seen, and, I, and we were all sounding so beautiful together, something happened in my heart. And I felt seen in a special way. That happens sometimes. It doesn't happen every time I want it to. Let me just snap my fingers and turn on that experience of of feeling it. So I put myself in places often where there's the opportunity for it to happen. The Sunday meeting is designed for that every time. And sometimes I get to feel it in a special way. But that that sense that also Matt was getting us to work with about like be feeling a little bit like a kid, like we don't have control. We can't, we're not actually in charge of that. So hard to accept. But, but you know, this it is what it is. It's where we're stuck. And we might describe that as darkness because it feels dark sometimes. But yeah, that's what it is. So that's why Lent is so much about human practice because this is what it means to be a human being it's what it means to not be god and to know everything we try to be god and it hurts to truth to try but if we try to be human it actually feels really good and we need to feel that feeling good as humans as who we are as who god has made us to be as the the people that god became a human to be with and to die for, and to create that union at the table with. We're we're late. (laughs) My experience of my heart is not not always at the the, the front of my experience. All the different ways that it means to be a human kind of get lined up, and they're always shuffling the deck inside of me. I'm not totally in charge of who's standing in front, who's driving the car, who is in control of what it is to be me. Do you feel me on that? Which of yourselves is at the front? Because when 50 people are killed at Juma Prayer in Christchurch, New Zealand on Friday, I'm honestly kind of numb about it. Something isn't lining up. I'm not lined up. You heard about this, right? This white supremacist walks into a couple of mosques and kills 50 people and wounds 40. It just turned 50 this morning. Someone else died. There might be more people that died because there's a lot of people in the ICU. White supremacist who wrote a manifesto about how Muslims are ruining his country. This world doesn't make sense. And my heart doesn't make sense in this world. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't always work the way I want it to. I'm listening to this news just kind of hit me, and I'm just like, I don't don't have enough heart for this. I can't do this again. Having trouble accessing an emotional response. You know how stuff just kind of hits you sometimes, and then other times it doesn't, right? 
you experience this? It's kind of maddening. I get real mad at myself. What's going on? Why, 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 why can't I get some compassion here? It's not just overwhelming news, but news is often one of the most overwhelming things in our experience, I think. But there's other things that, that overwhelm us, too. Um, you know those things that just make you shut down? What is it for you? What is it for you that, 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 that stops you up? That's the thing. It's not always the same either. We don't always know. So Lent is human practice. And not just any human practice. You human practice. What did, what, how does this work in here? What's going on? What's driving me? Because we want the light to get into all those dark places, all those experiences of stuckness. We want Jesus' light to permeate our whole being. And that means we need to accept the different ways that our being is anything, that being human is a lot of different things. And Jesus sees us. He really does. He really does. And, and, and I hope that when you're reading Jesus, this is, this is my consistent revelation. This is my word for Bible reading for you. And I don't think it's necessarily original, but I came to it originally. And it just keeps striking me that most of the things Jesus is doing in the New Testament, in the Gospels, where his story is being told, is saying, I see you. I know you. I know what it is to be human. And, and what you're doing, yeah, I did that too. And we, we're, we're often so unaware that it comes like it's a revelation, even though, and, and part of what a revelation is, I think, is that it, it's something so deep in us that that's why it feels so true. We just couldn't access it. We couldn't know that thing that we knew. And Jesus knows it for us. He came to, to live it and, and to show us what it means to be a human being. So when he says in Mark 12, after he's asked this question, which is the most important commandment? And he says, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Jesus is observing our complexity here. You might be tempted to say, whew, i got to do a lot of loving. What does it even mean to love God? Do I have all the heart? Do I have all the mind? Do, what is it? I got, oh, now here's like four assignments. Jesus is telling me what to do, because that's what Jesus does. He tells us what to do, and then, and then yells at us when we get it wrong. No, that is not what Jesus does. Too many of my brothers and sisters have said that's what Jesus does, and I'm pretty angry about it. I was with some people saying that to young people this weekend, and I was very angry that you would do that to my Jesus and say that that's what he's saying. No. Jesus sees you, and he came to show you how to love in all of those ways. Not only is he saying, love the Lord your God. This is my invitation to you. You could love God in all of these ways, but if that's true, if that's how we love, that's also how I'm going to love you in all those different dark corners of your personhood, in your heart, in your soul, in your mind, in your strength, 
I am loving you. I am there ready to be revealed. And, and, and I'm inviting you to come find me. And I'm giving you the light to go spelunking. You know what that means? Going in the caves, getting down into the dark, getting dirty in the mud of the inside of you. Jesus is there, and he's been there, and he wants you to find him. He's speaking to you in all these different ways. You can see the pictures that I put up there. I added the body, which we talked about last week. Kind of like the basic materialist version of what is a human being is this body. We didn't ignore that. And Lent is a very bodily time. Every week we're going to take communion and use our bodies. Human beings are embodied creatures, and it's really helpful to go with that and instead of ignoring it. And I also added at the end, you know, because Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy here when he's saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. But then also there's this communal sense, too, that we have, an idea of who we are that's also neighbor to neighbor, that's that's embedded in a place. And, and your sense of self is bigger even than just the, the, the amount of uh, the universe that, that these uh, kilos take up, you know, that there's, there's more to it, and I'm part of something. So we'll get to all of that eventually. We want to get into all the corners of us. So let's think about what it means this week to love the Lord your God with all your heart. We're going to get to all of it, but we're going to focus on the heart and how it works and maybe how it doesn't. Go pay attention. We need to feel it in our hearts. You've heard the mantra, follow your heart, right? It's a good one. Follow your heart. It's really good. It's really good to follow your heart. Because you could you could just be following some rule or, or, or some expectation that was put on you by your parents. Or you could just be following someone on Twitter and like letting them infect your brain with their uh, you know, shape that they just throw at people as their profession. That could, that could be who you follow. To follow your heart. That's good. I like that. I like that. But it's not enough. What about when your heart is overwhelmed? Like my heart is overwhelmed this week with what the news is in, in New Zealand. Or like whatever it is that's deadening you. Maybe the, the environment that your boss is creating at work that makes everyone feel so on edge because the only way that she knows how to get anything done is to make you feel scared for your job. That could make you shut down. Or the stuck feeling that you have in your marriage. We keep doing this all the time. I have that big toe that I stubbed when I was little. And it's just permanently stubbed. I have a tender part in me. And you just keep stepping on it. Why do you do that? I feel stuck. And I do the exact same thing back to you. I'm just stuck doing the same old pattern all the time. Or those bills that just keep coming. And I'm just going to put them all in a drawer. You know, I don't, I don't even, I don't even want to figure it out. It's too much. It's too, it's too out of control and it makes me feel too much. So I'm just going to wait for them to, you know, take the house. People do that. I can understand it. Or, you know, if, you, if nothing's connecting with you yet, you know, inevitable climate disaster. If that doesn't make you feel overwhelmed and want to shut down, I don't know what does. 
So when you feel overwhelmed, I, I'm, I'm saying shut down. I think that's the common thing that people do these days. We shut down. We know now. We we watch entertainment so we can be distracted. But there's other things we do. That's not the only thing. So study your heart for a second. When you're feeling overwhelmed, which is such a uh, common experience today, what does your heart do? I already said shut down. Do you lash out? Get real grumpy? Cuss people out that you shouldn't? I don't know who you should cuss out, but sometimes I guess it's okay. Do you um, get real emotional? Like, you know, you, you could do the opposite of shutting down. You could just get, like, kind of out of control emotional in a way that you can't understand or, or, or get, get, get yourself together so you can't function. A lot of times that's called depression. Sometimes, though, we don't even really, we're not even tuned into what's overwhelming us and we're just emotional and we don't, we don't know why. All of a sudden I'm crying and I really can't put my finger on why. Like I absorbed some, some negativity from someone and I'm like, now I'm crying and I, I gotta like pay attention. What, what just, what happened? What happened to someone else? Anxiety, common, common organization in our psychology. You know, start looping thoughts, start, start obsessing about this, that, the other things, you know, that's a very common way to feel when we're overwhelmed. But we can also do it bodily too, you know, we can eat too much or eat too little. There's lots of ways that we respond to our heart. So Jesus helps us with this, of course. He sees us in that sense of feeling overwhelmed. Maybe we feel like like we're drowning, you know that over overwhelmed has a set. It has like a I think it means water. Like whelming has something to do with water, like a flood that's coming up, like the water is keeps rising, and and there's nothing you can do about it. I think that the word has something to do with that. Like you're drowning in a pool, and that impossible feeling. My kids um, are small enough that it's been recent that they're learning how to swim. And we have this place where we go swimming. It's a lake, and it has, it's like, it's a lake that they like, you know, the only place to swim is where there's a beach. So you have to put sand down on a lake. You know how people do that? Like, we're gonna import sand and put it here because that's how we like to swim. And so they kind of graded it a little bit so you can walk on the sand. And, but then there's this kind of drop off where it gets, it gets a little deep, too deep. It's just like this one part in the thing. And it's not too deep. like. Theo is still, Theo is my five-year-old. He can still stand there, but sometimes he gets to that edge and kind of falls off, and like he goes down under. And, and he's still so young that it's like, you can't, you know, I gotta get out there, or he'll just, you know, sputter around and I don't know, maybe he'll drown. Um, we have, Jesus helps us to stand up right there. Helps us to, to feel the, the fullness of our, of our height even if we're as small as my little feel. Get on your tippy toes, put your chin up, you can breathe. It's okay, you didn't go too far. Look how tall you are. You're that big, you're big enough, I'm gonna help you. So that's what I do to, to Theo sometimes. I don't just like, oh, come on baby, back to shore, that was too scary, let's get in the towel. I stand him up and say, you can stand. And I think that's what Jesus does more often. Sometimes he rescues us. Sometimes we are just, you know, if we stay under too long and inhale a bunch of water, you know, we might need to go to the hospital and we'll get pneumonia or something, or we're not breathing. You know, Jesus does rescue us too. 
But this process of Lent is, I think, Jesus taking us by the hand and saying, come on, you can stand. You can take the next step. But just a, a little further on, like Joel had us singing with Milton. I love that you wrote a song based on John Milton. So good. I love the way that our, our uncle, our uncle John, tells the story. Not this Uncle John, but Uncle John way back in the first century who wrote a couple of letters. This is from 1 John 3, 16 through 20. Will someone read that out loud to us? we can stand. And this is how you do it. This is John saying, this is how you get your heart to work. When it feels like it's not working. When it's totally full and you feel overwhelmed and all the things that happen inside of you are just happening because that's how you work. How are you going to do it? If your heart condemns us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. You can belong to the truth. And you can set your heart at rest in Jesus' presence. This can be done. Many of us have experienced it, and we want to practice it here in Lent. We want to practice walking along, even in places where it feels a little too deep, even in places where it feels like it's probably better to shut down or to just go with the program however it is that you've been organized, it's too difficult to confront. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be in the dark here, or I'm just gonna be here in the shallow end and drown. God doesn't just fill us up. I, 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 I came across this idea and it's just, it's blowing my mind and I hope I can even express it to you as well as it was striking me. There's this passage in, uh, I'm throwing another little piece of the Bible in here, Ephesians 3.19 says that God fills us up to the full measure of God. If you've ever heard that passage, does that sentence make any sense? God fills us up to the full measure of God. I don't totally get it. I don't totally get, like, what is the measure and how, how full am I? This, this is the idea. The inexhaustible love of God doesn't just fill you up as big as you are. It expands you and makes you bigger. Love makes loveliness. It doesn't just appreciate loveliness. Love makes loveliness. And God is love. It says that earlier in this book, 1 John. God is love. 
and God's inexhaustible love keeps making you inexhaustibly lovely. It's not just like, oh, you know, you're actually pretty bad, but I'm going to love you anyways. That's another bad story that Christians have told. God loves you, and he makes you lovely. He makes you impossibly lovely, and he fills you up. Not only does he help you stand, but God keeps digging down deeper into all those parts of you and making each of them so beautiful. And the way that he does that is he teaches us to walk in love. Can you understand the idea of like love getting bigger when it seems like it can't? Like you could you could actually receive more than you thought was possible? I thought of a couple of ideas that might help you that are a little more practical because I think this actually works in any love. This isn't just God's like superpower magic love. This is love. This is how love works. Like any of the parents in the room, how much you loved your first child. An impossible love. You never thought you could love anyone that much. And if you have, if you were blessed to have another child, it kind of blows your mind. Oh, I can love this one as much? How is that even possible? Because that kind of love. Or like if you've, I think most of us have experienced this. You, you've loved someone and they broke your heart. And you thought, nah, this heart is done. It's closed off. When, you, when that happens, your heart feels so small and so impossibly impossible to be filled. But then, if you're blessed, and I hope you have been able to recover from that heartache and that love again. And this isn't just romantic love. This could be a friend. This could be your parent that broke your heart and you figured out how to love them again. That, that no, actually, it does feel like love stops. But when it keeps going, you can receive it. And I, parents are a good example of that, like learning to trust after a betrayal. You know, like you're in a, you're in a relationship and it feels like they just, someone just really lets you down. And you've gotten through that? I hope each of you have experienced that. You've made it through some betrayal and figured out how to trust that person again. You, your heart hardened to them and then softened again. That's love making things lovelier. And we learn that by loving. And we learn that that's true only in the context of loving. This is what Uncle John is saying. How can you say that you, that you, you got to love people? It's the only way. If it's like impossible, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? And that doesn't mean you have to have the stuff to take care of them. But if your heart isn't moved, that's like a light, a light to say, oh, something's not working right. I don't have any pack, I don't have any pity. And this is my number one thing. This is how I know. What love is, is that I, wanna, I want to have some modicum of the love that Jesus has when he lays down his life for us. We, too, are going to love that way, not just in speech, but with actions and in truth. So we will do something about it, but it, but it starts from the heart. And our hearts are going to betray us. I think this is a promise, too. You've already experienced this, but if you think you're just going to get better, and then you'll never have a heart that will betray you or, or condemn you, 
I don't think I don't think you should be expecting that. I think you should expect to keep having to walk this journey. Keep having to come back to Lent every year for another round of trying. For another round of human practice. We need to figure this out. So I just have one really practical but really hard thing to do that I want to try to help you with. And it's nothing new. Again, we're focusing uh, on the, the daily prayer, circleofhope.net slash daily prayer, on contemplative prayer. It's a way for us to pay attention to the movements of our hearts. When we get still and quiet and when we practice listening, we can actually learn how it is our hearts are working. And that observation, that seeing, when we see even ourselves, something happens. The, 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 the loving gaze of Jesus makes whatever it is that isn't working lovelier. It just does. I can't explain it, but whatever processes are broken that you're observing, you know, there could be some practical steps that you need to do to eradicate some sin from your life. You know, you could need to really break some patterns really practically, and you'll be convicted to do that by the Holy Spirit. But sometimes it's just that kind of stuckness. And Jesus looking at it, loving it, makes it lovelier. Maybe without even changing it. Maybe without even breaking the cycles. But it makes it feel better. We're attempting through our contemplative practice to become rich towards God's love. And it is slow work. We have had years of inundation, that overwhelming power of distraction and being pushed and shoved by our feelings into all sorts of activities. When our heart, when we're, we've been following our heart down all kinds of destructive paths, we've been assailed by thousands of hours of impact, input aimed to influence what we purchase and how we spend our time, even who we love, all of it. We have this riot of emotions and thoughts racing in our minds as a result. We've been taught relentlessly to store things up for ourselves and we must prepare for ourselves, not for the brother or sister, for whom we need that pity, just for us. So it's little, it's little surprise that prayer, this, this practice, is such hard work. But I really want you to try it. Because it feels like we're not doing anything at all. And I think that's one of the best things about it. When you say, contemplative prayer is doing nothing. Try doing nothing for Lent. Try doing nothing. But in fact, so much is going on in there. We are setting our hearts at rest in God's presence. And God is overcoming those con condemnations that we're so well accustomed to receiving and to giving ourselves. We're waiting silently because we believe that God is the one who can give us what is truly valuable. Being silent and still when our feelings are churning is daunting, 
And it's also tremendously worthwhile. Something happens. I can attest to this personally. There's this old prayer that I hope you, you know, but maybe you don't, and that's totally fine. I want to teach it to you. Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I made a recording of, of some, some thoughts about how to link that prayer to your breath and use it for contemplative practice. It's like kind of like a jump start for you if you're not really uh, able to get yourself there and you need some help. It's on um, thewayofjesus.circleofhope.net in the wind section. There's some new instructions about how to do this Jesus prayer as you're sitting and linking it to your breath. That's all that it is. Linking some truth about something truer, something deeper to our actual breath, living in that moment. It's good to try for like 10 or 15 minutes, and, and every day on the daily prayer there's like some uh, suggestion for how you can do it. So if you haven't checked out the daily prayer recently or you aren't aware, um, circleofhope.net slash daily prayer could give you like, that could be a discipline that you start for the rest of Lent, and, and then you'll be better by Easter. Like you'll, you'll be good at it. It doesn't take that long. I mean, you might not have like all of the breakthroughs that you want to have, but you'll at least be able to sit still and, and practice it. Because the cool thing about contemplative prayer is we're learning how to turn back. Uh, that the word in the Bible, repent, which I could also get mad about because of the day we, the Christians have made it all about sin, just sin. And maybe what I'm thinking about has to do with sin, but it's not just that. It's about changing. It's about actually turning. That's what the word means. When you're practicing contemplative prayer, and you're not trying to not think, because all you're trying to do is just be in the moment. You're trying to rest in God's presence. You're, you're, you're breathing this prayer. And you're going to be distracted. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna get way off of the prayer, and like you'll realize, God knows how long later, oh, I didn't, I'm not doing the thing that I'm sitting here trying to do. And then you get to turn. Then you get to repent. And that's what you get good at. That's what you're practicing. Is, is turning towards this Jesus. Turning towards the love that is making you lovelier. The, 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 the love that is digging you out. You know, excavating the foundations and making you able to hold more love. That's what love wants, to give more love. So I encourage you to, uh, to pay attention to what it is that's happening inside of you, in your heart. Your heart has, uh, you know, a curve to it. And you could figure it out. You could look at your whole day and figure out, oh, that, I was really feeling something then. Okay. I was really thinking you could look at all the like kind of intense feelings that you had during the day. And you won't, if you try this today, if you try like to do the last 24 hours right now, like when were my most intense feelings, if you're not accustomed to doing it, you will um, have trouble remembering. I guarantee it. It won't be like, you don't, you don't, you're not tuned into what's going on with your heart because it's, it's, it's used to just happening in the darkness. And, and to shine the light, you won't be that good at it on the first try. But if you make a practice of paying attention, when was I really feeling something? 
in the last 24 hours and, and shine the, the love light on it. You'll start to remember. And then you'll even start to realize it in the moment. Oh, some feelings are happening right now. You might, you might, and, and again, it's all relative. It's not just the intensity is different from person to person. Some of us, you know, it's a, it's a smaller curve. Others of us are big jagged lines. That's fine. But you got to know, got to pay attention. And Jesus wants us to, wants to do that with us. He's watching with us. He sees us. And when we notice what triggers these movements of our emotion, we're going to get free. We're going to get better. We're going to get lovelier. Let me pray for us, and then you can talk back. Jesus, we open up in our hearts the gates to your kingdom, the kingdom of love and justice and peace for us and for the whole world. Open up those gates, soften our hearts, pull back the curtain and let the light in. We need you to help us feel it. And that's what you want to do. Perfect love, cast out our fear. Perfect love, dig down and fill us up with more. We ask in Jesus' name. Anything you want to say back to that? A story of your own? Question?
What is the Enneagram? Enneagram is this like incredible, I don't know, it's like this, it's not a good description to say it's a personality test, but I can't think of another it's way to do it. Essentially um, it's that, but it's cooler. Essentially, but it's, you know, wizards will write, so like Kim said, it's much better than a personality test. Um, look it up, it's great. But I, like, struggle a lot with identity, and in, like, moments of stress become, like, in my stress state become really people-pleasing and um, needy. ourselves on the inside, it's hard to then do 
some of the things we want to do because we're relying on this kind of old script for motivation. You know, I, I totally feel on something you're, you're resonating in me on some totally different level for me, like something that I do, like, oh, but I can't do the thing because I don't have the, the old, you know, tool. Mm-hmm. We have to get new tools. Up Thomas Keating on the on the Daily Prayer. Check it out. He's he was an amazing contemplative advocate and wrote about it in very concrete, helpful ways. It sounds like that could be better, you know. Like that could be the next step on the on the, the on the dark road. You know, I'm not gonna do that. But then then you have to discern again. Okay, now this is where I am. What do I do now? You know, I'm doing something new. Probably probably the best thing you could do is something different than what you would do. So if you've already done that, I think you're on the right track. But taking one step is not arriving, and. Taking a hundred steps isn't arriving either. You know, we're always doing this process, and, and God is with us, and the Holy Spirit is actually going to have to help us. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.